1: You're listening to Text Message with me, Nate Langson, And I'm Ian Morris. And later on today, we are going to touch on a couple of important points that have come up in the more global tech scene, one of which is the Samsung Galaxy Note 7 launch, uh, the launch of which Ian and I both attended. We'll come back to that towards the end of the show. But quite a few interesting news stories to get into before we get there. And the first is that the BBC iPlayer will require a TV licence As of the 1st of September, for those of you who have been keeping tabs on the iPlayer license fee shenanigans since the charter review period, you all know that the main complaint has been that you don't need one to use iPlayer for on-demand. So if you miss something on the telly and you go and watch it on the iPlayer the next day or an hour later or what have you, you don't actually need a licence fee for that and never have because the licence fee was drawn up long before anything like on-demand existed. And that's always been a bit of of a bone of contention for both licence fee advocates and the BBC itself because, strictly speaking, you're kind of not paying anything to watch BBC content, so maybe you should be paying something. That's changing, Ian, isn't it? It is, yes. a matter of weeks from this. And... This is, according to the BBC at least, not going to affect a huge number of people. They they say that over 95% of households in the UK have a licence fee already. And so anyone that already has that fee is unaffected by this. You're already covered. And fewer than 2% of households Um, only watch catch up and catch up was the thing that current that previously you didn't need the license fee for so only two percent were saying we never watch anything live therefore we don't need a license fee only two percent that again those figures according to the bbc so this change is primarily going to affect that two percent but in this tight margin world of bbc management that's uh, probably quite significant don't you think ian I do, yes, and I mean, really, I I just
0: sort of wish this wasn't a problem and that people didn't require being told and that they saw enough value in the licence fee to think that it was worth paying for. I mean, uh, I certainly do, and I barely watch any live TV, really. Um, The the value in the BBC for me is those occasional programmes I do like, and uh, Radio 4, largely, if I'm completely honest. And of course, I um, have kids, so uh, the children's services are second to none, and it's uh, actually when you have kids i mean all parents will probably say the same thing you know the programs on uh cbb's and stuff like that not only they're not interrupted by adverts they also tend to be subtly educational in a way that's quite cool you know it works really well so this was inevitable but i noticed they've uh they've rolled out the old license fee detective the license detection van nonsense all over again the telegraph um picked up on a report And as a result, uh, has suggested that the BBC will be allowed to spy on users' internet connections um, to, if you will, sniff out iPlayer packets. Now, I don't know. I I, I want to look into it um, and have a good sniff around. (laughs) Uh, But um, they say that they can do that. Now, I don't believe it's possible to, uh, to tell what an iPlayer packet is or any other packet unless you really... You know, get in there and and do deep packet inspection and stuff like that, especially if um, people are using uh, Wi-Fi with good encryption. Uh, but as I say, I haven't looked into it enough. I don't know the details. I'm not, you know, a high level encryption expert or anything like that. Um, but it it sounds to me like one of those things, like the the the, the vans, which they told people existed. But most people don't really believe they do. What the BBC has is a database. And on that database is a list of every home with a licence and every home without a licence. And from that, they send inspectors around to knock on doors and say, do you have a TV? Um, No, I don't. I don't have a licence, obviously. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then the inspector goes away or... Tries to get. I mean, the whole thing is actually fairly distasteful. It doesn't become the BBC
1: at all. The, the, this is probably quite interesting to our non UK listeners who yeah. are not used to the idea of having uh, effectively a state broadcasting service like this. But but these are all things that do happen.
0: Well, license fees are very common all over all over the world. Um, it, uh, it, you will find them across Europe, uh, New Zealand, I believe, South Africa, Japan. NHK is is license fee paid as well. And in most of those countries, those channels also carry advertising. It's not uncommon to have a license fee, um, but of course the Americans don't. So you get you tend to get a lot of uh, Americans saying, "Well, why are they charging me to uh, receive something that I
1: get for free over the air?" Well, let's let's talk a little bit about how this gets spotted then, because the first thing that struck me when I saw that this change was being implemented on on September and uh, was well, good luck with that. You know, good luck enforcing this. And I so I wrote to the BBC and I asked their licensing body, their press office, for some details about how this is actually going to be done. Because in discussions we've had before, we've we've suggested that one very easy way of safeguarding people from accessing the iPlayer without a license is you create a login system and you say to people, Well, you put in your you know, your postcode and your license fee account number or something, that's your login and you apply that and that's your you know that's your access code if you like
0: that doesn't work when you've got people who've got parents who have a license and they don't but then i suppose that's a very small problem
1: it is and and one of the things that the the resp- from the response that i got is that and this is a quote in limited circumstances students can be covered by the license at their parents address but here's the really interesting thing when it comes to these students Um, it has to be on a device that is powered by its own internal battery. So it must not be plugged into the mains when you're getting that live transmission. So if if you plug it in and watch telly, you're not covered by your parents' license fee. If you watch it on your iPad without a plug, just on battery, then being covered by your parents may be enough.
0: Oh, it's just so stupid. It is a little bit strange. Who comes up with a rule like that? I mean well actually I think that uh part of that would be because back in the day, but you know, back when this was actually sort of being written into the license, I suspect it was in the day of those little analogue portable TVs and which were powered by six AA batteries which lasted twenty minutes. Um and you know, it was that was fine. You weren't gonna have a license specifically for that, were you? Um, but where you're talking about distinct students or people who live away from their parents who have phones, phones with batteries which last ten hours or whatever, it, it doesn't really feel like a very, like a modern way of approaching it. I, I...
1: Well, let me go into a few answers that the the, uh, the the team that I spoke to did have. So, firstly, this change applies to everything that is not broadcast TV, and so they say smart TV, desktop computer, laptop, mobile phone, tablet, digital box which is a bit ambiguous, (laughs) or a games console. And they also say if you access BBC iPlayer through another provider like Sky, Virgin Media, Freeview, BT, you would need a license for that. So they're basically saying this applies to everything, like absolutely everything that can receive the iPlayer. If you use it, you need a license fee. That to me is fairly obvious. Um, but I asked specifically about enforcement and how they're going to enforce this. And they say, and this is these are quotes, I can confirm we have caught people watching on those devices using our normal enforcement methods, and this will not change following the closure of the iPlayer loophole. They also say that there are no changes planned at present, which would require users to supply a TV license number, as in that login example we mentioned. So I went back to them and I said, you know, can you clarify what you mean by catching people watching on other devices? Because... You know, is this to say essentially that they could track someone down who are watching live on a mobile? Um, So they replied it again and said that they have caught people watching on those devices and that the the usual enforcement methods they use, which are like letters and visits, which is like what you um, have mentioned before, is one of the ways that that they do that. They're also going to be having a a, a new advisory notice on the iPlayer website, and they're sending letters to unlicensed addresses advising them about this change. And I had a look that they sent me the letter that they're going to be sending out to households as well. And it's very clearly written. It basically says, as of the 1st of September, A change in the law means you need to be covered by a TV license to download or watch BBC programs on demand. Um, It does, incidentally, exclude live radio. So if that's the only thing you use the iPlayer for, if you're just tuning in to listen to Radio 4 on a Sunday morning or something, technically speaking, you still don't need a license fee to do that via the iPlayer specifically. Um, it's a two-page pdf PDF, a a two-page letter that's going to go out and it explains a lot of things like what on demand is and whether this means you need to use it to use sky go or itv so uh, you know it's a fairly nicely written um if extremely broad letter essentially they're they're going to have to use the existing methods they've got which is you know if there is a house that doesn't have a license they're going to send someone round and say instead do you have a telly they'll say do you have an ipad are you using a phone? And if you'd say, well, yes, I'm a student, but my phone isn't plugged in, you'll be okay. But let us know what you think, everybody. Podcast at NateLangson.com. Very keen to hear people's views on this one. And uh, I'm particularly interested if you've ever had a visit from any of these enforcement officers or have you seen one of these much-touted vans driving around uh, at some point in your in your past. Podcast at NateLangson.com In one other BBC nugget, Ian, we wanted to get to, and I know you wanted to mention this, uh, BBC is doing 360-degree Olympic Games broadcasts. Fill fill us in, my friend. Well, I got an announcement a while ago
0: that um, NBC and Samsung had done a deal uh, where they would, um, exclusively on Samsung devices using Gear VR, would be streaming from the Olympics. Um, and I thought, well, that's not very good. I mean, I've kept that Samsung is the leader in sort of mobile VR. So it makes sense for it to be them. I don't think anyone else has really got quite the, the sort of infrastructure in place. But that doesn't really work for the BBC. The BBC won't do deals like that. It's it's absolutely impossible. Um, so I asked and they said, well, we haven't got anything to announce now, but if there is in the future, we'll be sure to let you know. And sure enough, good to their word, they did. Uh, we've been obviously really bothering the BBC PR department this week, haven't we? Yes, we have. Um, So yeah, uh, so uh, BBC Sport 360 started last Friday. Uh, They're covering around 100 hours, I think, of total stuff um, and a choice of four camera angles and a 360 highlights package each day. Um, It's a little bit maybe unclear about quite exactly what, but things like the opening ceremony were broadcast in 360. Uh, Beach volleyball, of course, because people, boxing, gymnastics, stuff like that. Um, so that's pretty good. Um, it's good that they're getting involved. I mean, it's, there will be a very small number of people that take advantage of that service, I suspect. Um, but it's good that they're having a crack. And I like that. That's one of the things I love about the BBC. You know, they, they really try hard to uh, get in on new things where possible, uh, even if uh, it's a minority uptake.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, because I think that quite a few people probably technically do have the ability to watch something like this. I mean, if you've got a a modern Android phone and access to a Google Cardboard, you can use this. Um, If you've got a Samsung Gear VR, let's say, and a a new Samsung phone or a recent Samsung phone or a Note, you can do it on that as well. And similarly, they're doing this, this live. I mean, obviously, the Olympics, huge amounts of it's live. But with this sort of thing, you often tend to encounter it you know, after the fact, you know, in, in a in a sort of, here's a thing you can download and experience in a new way. But these 360 broadcasts are going to go out live. So it's not just that it's being done in 360 video. It's the fact you're going to, you'll be able to watch it in 360 at the same time that everyone else might be watching on TV, which I think, as you say, is, is really neat, very innovative. And I, I, I mean, it's kind of irrelevant to us in the context of being a UK focused show. But over in Japan, NHK, actually is broadcasting some of the Olympics in 8K. Um, And you need a a kind of a prototype. I think it might be Pioneer or or Panasonic uh, box. And they're setting up TVs in certain places, I think, around the city or in offices where people can go and and watch this happening in in 8K. Let us know if you've got to try any of this 360 stuff. out. I personally have not, but I did enjoy the BBC's... um, What's it called when the the when it was the Queen's Jubilee, um, her birthday, the other, a few weeks ago? They did a three sixty video of um, something to do with the colours. Remind me of it. Was it trooping called? of them? Thank you. <laughs> yes, trooping of the colours. They they broadcast that in three sixty, and I and I did and I watched that in three sixty, and I thought that's that was um, that was an, a neat little experiment. But like being there. Almost
0: like being there I mean you could have gone because it happens pretty much every week or something I mean uh, you like me uh, I don't think I don't have any real problem with the monarchy uh, but I don't seek
1: out to see them in any manner well this is going wildly down a uh, a royal rabbit <laughs> hole that we did not come to dig today. <laughs> Okay, Ian, let's talk about the effects of Brexit. We've touched on this subject before now when we told everybody about Dell and I think HP – raising the prices of their products for IT products in the UK by about 10%. I think we talked about that a month or so ago. It's actually one of our most popular episodes ever. Ooh. So a lot of people um, listen to that show. But it's it's happening again, and this time perhaps a little more closer to the consumer heart of Britain, which is that the HTC Vive, the the 360-degree VR headset Vive, is going to be £70 more, 70 pounds more seven zero in the UK and HTC has essentially blamed Brexit. They put a message on their website in a blog post and they say, a message to all our UK customers. HTC continuously monitors and adjusts pricing to ensure we are providing our customers with the best value possible. Due to recent currency valuation changes and the current value of the pound, We are adjusting the price of the HTC Vive in the UK to £759 plus postage and packaging. The adjustment will come into effect Monday, August 1st. Um, And then they go on to thank people for their support.
0: On the plus side though, Nate, just get a loan because the interest rate is now 0.25%.
1: So just get a loan and pay for it that way. As somebody who very recently (laughs) bought a house, I'm fairly sensitive about the Bank of England's interest cut. Well, Are you on a variable rate by any chance? No, I'm not. I'm You're on a fixed. fixed. I'm okay. on fixed
0: for five years. That's a smart move. Well, it was at the time. Well, um, it still is because you were probably fixed at a pretty low rate, right?
1: Um, without going into great details, <laughs> it, was certainly, it was certainly a very competitive rate and I'm certainly yeah. not unhappy. Let's just put it that way. Um but this is a shame right here though I mean 70 pounds more for it's what is already an amount. extremely expensive product. Look I'll be completely honest I I'm on the
0: verge of considering a vive like I I mean I I don't think there's enough material for it but I believe that HTC has really nailed this piece of hardware. I'm it's the it's the thing that Oculus has some issues um and not least their attitude. Um, and also, I was speaking to um, a mutual friend of ours the other night um, after the Samsung event, actually, uh, Rick Henderson, and he tells me that the um, if you get sunlight in the uh, lenses of the Oculus, uh, it can severely damage the uh, OLED screen in absolutely no time at all. Um, and it's happened to him and he says he reckons less, and they, they believe, I believe they've told him it less than a minute can be enough to damage the, let the, uh, the screen. Um, so for me, Vive is a really appealing proposition. I think it's the smartest system. I think it comes as a good package. Um, it's a bit more expensive except now it's a bit more, bit more expensive than Oculus. Um, I'm probably going to wait this out. I think maybe I'll get a vibe
1: in the second generation,
0: but uh it's disappointing.
1: I think we have to expect. That the Vive in at least one generation, maybe maybe a second, is going to go wireless as will all of these things. It's hard though. It's really hard. It's about. It's not so much
0: about um, the amount of data you need to send. It's about keeping that all important latency down to absolutely nothing at all. Um, it's
1: true, but there are wireless standards that are out now where the latency is extremely low on very high frequency. Um, radio technology, and I and I don't think it's going to be too long before this goes wireless, and that is inevitable. Like it is yeah. inevitable, this will go wireless. And I, I agree, agree with you. The Vive is the most impressive of these. I used it. I went around to CNET's offices um, a couple of months ago, and th- you know they had a, a a kit set up in a in a room that was dedicated to it, and got to have a play, and it was amazing. But I I couldn't i couldn't get away from the fact that as amazing as it was as immersive as it felt as impressive as it was and i did walk out of there wanting to buy one was that i've got a big ass cable hanging down my back and at some point i'm gonna trip up and tangle myself and i thought you know what for this amount of money this early on with so little content i've been burned by buying a 4k tv too early i'm gonna wait another year and i'm gonna get the nice sexy wireless one that'll cost less fair enough Well, let's pull back our eyelids, peer far over the curvature of the Earth, past the Atlantic, and check in with Tom Merritt at Daily Tech News Show. Tom, what's been going on this week? Thank you, Nate. This past week on Daily Tech News Show, we dived into why Uber wants to become a mapping company. Got a first-hand review of the Xbox One S from Lamar Wilson probably don't need one. Discuss when it's okay to let kids use tablets. Short answer is anytime you use it with them. Uh, We discussed the US ISP's plans to charge you to protect your privacy. And we wondered if we ever again will be able to own our software instead of have to subscribe to it. Turns out the answer is a qualified yes. All that and more on dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you, Tom. Right, Ian. Let's talk about Ofcom. Ofcom, oh, yes, the My Ofcom favorite. section,
0: <laughs> the uh, the Ofcom
1: section of the show. Absolutely, yeah. Ofcom very interesting to talk about. Um, now, there was a report on the Register I read about Ofcom releasing a uh, some research that suggested the UK's tel- telco market, you know, mobile and fixed line and, and what have you, was worth uh, almost forty billion pounds, 37.5, 38 billion pounds. That was the headline. I'm not interested in that. What was really interesting to me inside this was some of the figures that came out of this report. And the one I'm going to pick out first, Ian, is that according to Ofcom, which for anyone outside the UK, that's the body, the regulator that oversees all of Britain's telecom services and TV and and everything, um, almost half of all mobile subscriptions, mobile phone subscriptions in the UK, are now 4G. 40 million. Bearing in mind, we have a population of about just under 60 million. That's pretty impressive.
0: Uh, I was yawning, not because of a reaction or anything anything about this story, just uh, it's been a long day. Uh,
1: Yes, it is incredible, isn't it? I mean, absolutely incredible. Yeah, and mobile subscriptions have increased 1.8% to uh, 91.5 million and this is all during 2015 so these are figures that are a few months old but it's to encompass a full year i believe Um, but yeah almost half of connections in 2015 are 4g 4g i mean people have got multiple connections presumably this is
0: why that number is so high
1: yeah, it it absolutely is. I mean, the other, the other side of this of course is that a lot of providers are switching on 4, 4G without any extra charge. So yeah. people have got access to 4G without having to have a special contract or anything. But but still having more than or almost half of all people using 4G in uh, in the UK, I still think is pretty impressive. Um, we also have now 9.2 million homes in Britain have speeds up to 30 megabits per second. That was 7.1 million in 2014, so a good a good general speed bump over over the UK. And the other thing that I found interesting in this report is was to do with text messaging and multimedia messaging. Now, I'm pretty sure if you go out anywhere, look at any smartphone, people are using WhatsApp, they're using iMessage, they're using WeChat, they're using all these different chatting services, Facebook Messenger, obviously as well, I should have included. It's all data, none of it's texts, none of it's multimedia messages. Ian, without looking ahead in the script here, yeah. guess how many text messages were sent? In fact, guess guess how many were sent in 2014? Um. Text messages in total. In total, text and multimedia Um, messages sent yearly in the UK or from UK devices in 2014. I'll give uh, you a clue. It's measured in many billions. Oh, really? I was going to say a billion. Um, Let's go for 10 billion. 101 billion. Wow. That's, That's staggering, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, I've done it the wrong way around. That was the number sent in 2015. Right. So that was, that was last year, 101 billion text messages, multimedia messages okay. were sent. Um, in 2014, it was 110 billion. So only right. 9 billion fewer between 2014 oh, and 2015. Only 9 billion. I mean, that's. Yeah. that's... But, out, but out of 110 billion, and the reason why I say only is because in 2014, 2015, the number of people signing up for and using services like whatsapp and facebook messenger i mean facebook bought whatsapp for billions in 2014 because of the number of people using these and yet only nine billion fewer text messages were sent in britain in between 2014 and 2015 that just seems tiny given the rise of these platforms
0: i mean uh, yeah there are certain people who you just don't and there are certain things where whatsapp just isn't a thing like for example um, my haircut my um, you know certain things like parcels being delivered those are all services which are not available on whatsapp are they They, that you they there's no and this is partially whatsapp's fault isn't it there's um, it's not an it's not as easy for someone to text you on a WhatsApp number, although theoretically it is, because they don't give you an external like username or something like that. But theoretically, WhatsApp could be a hub for all manner of things if it was properly used. Um but text messages remain something that's baked into a lot of systems. Like that, you know, there are obviously pre built hairdressing solutions where they have a schedule and a back end that does text messaging. So uh, that I think it's not going anywhere. Plus, everyone you know, lots of people have got mums and dads, um, and mums and dads are notoriously bad at moving with the times.
1: True, although I have to say, my mum uses WhatsApp. Yeah, mine I doesn't. D- oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get text
0: messages, and that's fine because text messages are essentially free, um, and they you know you can
1: communicate the basics, can't you? Yeah, you certainly can, but you lack like emojis, and uh... <laughs> I mean that really isn't the problem. I, I'm not. I don't know. I'll tell you something. My mum has sent an increasing number of inline emojis. Sometimes <laughs> reading text te- texts from her now is like reading chicken looking. Um, in a good way, I have to say. I can't. I can't do it, mate. I can't read
0: emoji text where where the you know the there is a series of images. I don't know what half of them are. I'm really bad at it. I I was a text you know a, a, an emoticon man.
1: Yes, if you will. Yeah. When did that change? When did the emoticon become the emoji? I remember putting on Twitter a question about what the difference is. And someone said, well, an emoticon is when it's done using ASCII characters. So, yeah. you know, colon, hyphen, close bracket for smiley face. You're only Whereas allowed to use An emoji is an actual picture face. Yeah.
0: It's like a proper image, isn't it? It's not... Well, it's generated by the handset, isn't it? I assume it's represented in another way. But, um, yeah, the whole thing's exhausting. I mean, I like Emoji, and it's it's fun. But at the same time, I I was... You know, we used to do amazing things with ASCII. Like, there are some good examples online, if you care to look, of things that are actually quite remarkable, (laughs)
1: Yeah, definitely. I've got a few favourites, most of them vulgar and obscene. Uh, does your mother send you obscenities via emoji? Podcast at com. Send us a screenshot. Well, before we end the show and come to uh, an email, we wanted to touch on the Samsung Galaxy Note 7. Now, we don't often talk about actual gadgets on the show, largely because you've heard them everywhere else on all the other tech shows. But I did want to mention this one just because... Well, A, just because Ian and I both were at the launch and I was sitting behind Ian, who was playing Pokemon Go during... Uh, Shh, don't tell them that. (laughs) I was listening intently and playing Pokemon Go. But we did want to talk about the fact that we both like it. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Ian. And just before we do, quick recap. 5.7-inch screen. It's very, very interesting. It's a black oblong... Uh, it's quite expensive. It works underwater and it scans your eyeballs for <laughs> it <works> security. Underwater. <laughs> I yeah. think that's about a fair summary of the, the new what did you,
0: What did you think about when you picked it up? Did you feel like it felt uh, like it, it feels like a
1: much smaller phone than you would expect for a 5.7 inch screen, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And I think part of the reason for that is that it is smaller than most other 5.7 inch phones would be because the bezel around the edge doesn't really exist on the left and right because like the edge the the galaxy edge the screen does curve down the side and so you get that extra screen size without that extra few mil of bulk around the edge so it feels more like a 5.5 inch phone even though it's
0: 5.7 yeah absolutely and i think that's the real skill of it and also i think that now they've made it symmetrical. That makes me very happy because I'm a man of symmetry, so I, I I don't like unsymmetrical things. So now that where, where the front curves
1: to the side, the back also does the same, and I think that really helps with the feel. It definitely um, does. And the iris scanning tech was an interesting one. I I had a, a pre briefing before the announcement and got to try this iris scanning. Uh, system, which is basically it's got a, an infrared camera on the front of the phone uh, in addition to the regular visible light camera for taking self-portraits and stuff. And it has got, uh, it's got it's got a system that lets you s- scan your iris, um, not your retina. It's keen to point out this is iris yeah, scanning, not retina scanning. It? It's very, very different for security reasons, but still nonetheless good enough to be used for you know people to put their passwords behind and even do banking deals apparently they've got a partnership with some banks for for using this but basically you you hold the phone in front of you and in my in my test less than a second it recognized my eyes and unlocked the phone it was no faster than using a fingerprint but it did technically involve less you know input from me i didn't have to swipe my thumb down or yeah. hold my thumb over the sensor you just Look at the phone as you would anywhere, and it unlocks.
0: Also, uh, I'm told—I was told in a, an interview in that pre-briefing—that um, it was—it's uh, a hundred times more secure
1: than a fingerprint. I can believe that, but both can be cloned technically. Fingerprints using well, three, I mean, you uh, know- I, I, uh, that, uh, iris is much harder, though, isn't it? I would yeah. think. Almost certainly, because it's very difficult to do a 3D plastic mould of your eyeball. I don't think you would do that. I think the the, the trick
0: would be to get a very, very high-resolution image of someone's eye and then use that to log in. Now, I'm sure that the very, very clever people in the world will have will try this as soon as the phone comes out. And we'll either see a story about it being hacked in about a week or about it being not hacked either way it doesn't really matter because it's not about that is it it's the security that it gives you is one of convenience and it's one of it's secure enough for most people if you're running a country then perhaps investigate a, a longer passcode instead but if you're or, just, or a, just
1: just do both fingerprints yeah. and iris well
0: i wondered about that but i don't the samsung doesn't support it does it but I'm i thought not. that
1: would be a rather good idea if you could do both yeah, so you have to hold your finger down and look yeah. at it at the same time. Yeah. I mean time. it would
0: work, wouldn't it? Or or just one after the other if necessary. I think that would work. I, I think, think that so. would work. Well, perhaps we should make that happen.
1: Well, it's, it's a really nice device and I, and I have to say I was very very impressed and we're a couple of weeks away we expect from the announcement of Apple's new phone. And although we are suspecting that Apple's going to include a lot of interesting new features, it does seem that Samsung is ahead of some of the rumoured features that we don't yet know about.
0: <laughs> it's it's really very, very impressive. And, yeah, it's been a really good year for Samsung. They, they've made more money. The S7 is a really good phone. Uh, they've managed to get to the point where they can turn a profit on the edge screens now, which which was a problem for them last year. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I get quite angry. Obviously, a big part of what we do for a living is, uh, you know, spe- you know, talking about how companies are, you know, struggling to innovate, this, that, and the other. But you know, we've got these phones that do absolutely everything. I, I, I struggle to think of something that my phone can't do that I want it to do. Um, I mean, things were never going to carry on as they were forever, were they? It's impossible.
1: Well, just rummaging through my feedback sack here, we did. <laughs> last week ask you with a greater degree of urgency to send us some emails because we know a lot of you listen as you tell as you do and the numbers are pretty obvious when i look at our dashboards um but you've started you you write in less than you used to don't you love us anymore seriously we were number nine in the itunes tech charts yesterday so uh, someone loves us why not you eh? well Stephen does, because he wrote in to say, in response to our talk last week about Robot Wars, Nostalgia isn't what it used to be, but watching bigger, badder, remote-controlled contraptions hurling themselves into orgies of destruction certainly brings a tear to my eye. But here's the rub. While DARPA had the great challenge for robots, we get a barely progressed Robot Wars, where we should be seeing something like the Great Egg Race crossed with the Krypton Factor (laughs) for (laughs) autonomous robots. Love the show, Stephen. Well, Stephen, we love your comment.
0: Quite, and I did. I did say right, it's not robot wars; it's uh, remote control car wars, really, because that's what they
1: are. They're just remote control cars, which are heavily armoured. There was a bloody great one on last week's show. Actually, they had this big spinning love disc orbiting <laughs> it. It looked like it looked like someone had shrunk Saturn down to the size of a robot and turned the rings of Saturn into a big serrated edge blade. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Really liked it. But uh, thanks for your comment, Stephen. You and Ian definitely in agreement there. I think um, we also had another interesting note from. Uh, we had a few here. I'm just trying to pick pick out who we're going to talk. Uh, get some messages from. Kimberly wrote in from the US with a very long but but interesting email about Amazon Fresh. We talked about Amazon getting into the fresh grocery delivery business uh, here in uh, in the UK and the Amazon Dash. And one of the things that she mentioned that was a bit of an issue is. Um, things have melted for her in transit between being dispatched from Amazon and arriving at her house. And I thought this was really interesting because that, to me, feels like a very... US-centric problem, in that a lot of stuff has to go via road, but for quite long distances, whereas in the UK, even if it's delivered by road, it's generally not as hot, and also generally not as yeah, far. Yeah, but I
0: mean, they do have refrigerated vans in America, it's not an unusual thing to have as part of your delivery System. I mean, I, I think that um, food delivery in the UK is very advanced, actually. We, we're quite lucky. Our supermarkets jumped on it quite quickly. I don't think it's like that in the States. Um, and and I, I would welcome anyone else uh, to write in and you know tell us about what what is and isn't available. Um, and the context of that is if you are an American in the UK, every supermarket delivers to pretty much every home. Uh, so you can have everything sent to you um, in a van if you want. Um but, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how they don't seem to have thought of that sort of basic stuff, but who knows? Mm.
1: Yet. Yet. Could all yet. be a case of yet. I mean, Kimberly mentioned, um, I mean, this is an interesting line, that she loves the service for dog food, sodas, I think that's what they call uh, fizzy drinks, pa- <laughs> paper goods, and staples, which is an interesting combination, if I don't, all used for the same thing. Presumably she doesn't mean
0: staples as in the thing that staple paper together. I assume she means the basics
1: of cooking. But is that th- th- well i don't know because the previous one was paper goods
0: well that is true i mean i don't i don't, I don't want to besmirch kimberly's good name but and now i have a, a, a sort of a vision of a hot american i mean hot in the climate sense uh, stapling paper endlessly uh, she might be hot physically as well just uh, uh, this is a terrible all, hole to be down it, it, <laughs> it really is please send
1: help Uh, Stuart wrote in to mention that uh, he enjoyed the high quality of the show. Thank you, Ian. We enjoyed the high quality punctuation and grammar of your message. It was perfect. Um, And he said that he just wanted to mention on our discussion of the Amazon Dash and how much easier it can make shopping, um, he just wondered why people would pay for them, if he will. But when a lot of the existing supermarkets have this barcode scanning tech that's, you know, it's free of charge. So why would you use a Dash? And Ian, I think you had a, a well, point about this when I, I forwarded think, you this email. Well, yeah,
0: well, when I, when, I, um, when I was looking into Dash, it implies that when you uh, do your second online order, they'll send you one for free. So uh, while I agree with him, um, in theory, um, I think they're sort of onto that. But also, there is an advantage to having a specific device to do a job like that, where it's just in the kitchen, and when you run out of something, you just scan it. Uh, you know, phones are very convenient
1: and work perfectly, but there's nothing quite like picking something up and just using it. You know. Plus, I suppose the physical presence of it standing there is a reminder to use it and to think of Amazon. That's yes, exactly. More money. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. Yeah, good point, Stuart. Uh, and finally, just a quick note to thank everyone who wrote in and politely commented that there may have been an audio encoding issue at the end of last week's show. There was an error on the export for some reason, and uh, a lot of people got a very robotic sound during the Robot Wars section if you downloaded the show quickly enough. So apologies for that, and thanks to everyone who uh, who flagged it, and I hope you all got the uh, uh, the fixed version. In fact, I know you did, because I looked at the numbers, and, and you did. So I suppose you're welcome but also that but also (laughs) thanks (laughs) okay well we're going to leave it uh, there before I uh, sink myself deeper into this <laughs> pit from which there is very little chance of any humane escape. Um, but you are welcome to send further emails to podcast at com. Keep leaving reviews on the iTunes store for us. It got us to number nine in the charts last week. So 140 of you giving five-star reviews in the UK alone. Had a look at the other stores around the world and there's loads there too. So thank you so much. That's the difference you make and that's why we don't ask for any money or sponsorship. Or anything like that. So, thank you. Keep the emails coming in, and we'll see you. Assuming I get out of this hole in a week.
0: It's nice that you. It's nice that you joined me in that hole. You know, after I dug myself a nice little pit, you then <clears throat> followed suit and dug yourself a little hole.
1: What do you call a hole that's built within a hole? Uh. uh... Uh, uh, I've no. There's no answer to that. No, there isn't. Podcast at natelangson.com dot com if you have one. <laughs>